Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, June 4th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, political parties are gearing up for primary elections. Why both sides hope Mississippians get out the vote. Go to the polls and let your preference be known. That's one of the great freedoms we have as Americans. And I think it's our, frankly, patriotic duty to go out and and exercise those rights. Then a Mississippi professor weighs in on a potential summit between the U.S. and North Korea. And after everyday tech, what's the debate over the risks of e-cigarettes? Details on conflicting views. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippians will go to the polls tomorrow to vote in this year's historic party primary elections. Party chairs on both sides are hoping for a good turnout. All four congressional House seats and the two Senate seats are up for re-election this year. The most hotly contested and watched race is for the third congressional district. In U.S. Senate races, Republican Senator Roger Wicker has one opponent in his bid for re-election. Six Democrats are vying for Wicker's seat. Currently, Mississippi Republicans dominate seats in state office and in Congress. Lucian Smith is chairman of the state Republican Party. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier he's confident Republican voters will ensure the open posts stay with the party. I think Republican primary voters want to know who's going to go to Washington to keep uh, supporting the president's agenda and fighting for uh, his conservative agenda. Uh, and, and we're lucky in the Republican Party that we've got a very deep bench of candidates, six running in the third congressional district, uh, two in the fourth, uh, including the incumbent, and uh, a great slate of uh, two uh, U.S. senators who will be on the ballot, one tomorrow and then the other in November. Yeah, and you also have among them a DA and uh, Senator Sally Doty. So there seems to be a cross-section in terms of uh, background. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think all six people running uh, bring a uh, distinct set of experiences that uh, that they think qualify them for that role. And I'm I'm confident that whomever the Republican primary voters choose tomorrow, uh, we're going to have a good, solid candidate uh, going into November that uh, Mississippians are going to vote for and send to Washington. Any uh, concerns about a face-off against Democrats? I mean, you've got two Democrats, Michael A. Cox and Michael Ted Evans, running for that seat, too. No. I mean, I, look, that the good news for 
Republicans in Mississippi is we don't have to pretend we're something we're not. Uh, this is a conservative state. Uh, people want the kind of government that Republicans bring. Uh, and so any Democrat running is a vote for Nancy Pelosi. And I, I think the people of Mississippi don't want to see Nancy Pelosi become speaker. Uh, she's been very clear that she's going to increase taxes. She's going to increase the role of uh, government in your lives and your businesses. And uh, I, I don't. we're going to make sure that the, that message gets out, but I don't think there's any risk uh, that people in the 3rd Congressional District would pick some somebody other than the conservative Republicans that, uh, that we nominate. Campaigning ahead of the election, are you involved in that? How's, how's the campaigning going? You know, everybody's working very hard. Uh, the party is neutral. Uh, I'm neutral, so I'm, I'm watching a lot of the campaigning, but I'm not involved in it right now. But we'll be very involved once we have nominees. Uh, in making sure they've got the resources they need to win in November. Uh, and we've got a good story to tell as Republicans. Do you see the potential for a runoff between the six Republican candidates? I think that's distinctly possible. Uh, you've got uh, six good people in there who have all worked uh, very hard, run very hard campaigns. Uh, and so I think it's a distinct possibility that we'll we'll have a runoff three weeks later on the 26th, and we'll be prepared for that if uh, if that occurs. You also have Roger Wicker. Uh, he is, of course, in office and an incumbent. Your thoughts on that race? Obviously, uh, Senator Wicker's got a, a record that he's running on. Um, and and I, I, again, the party stays neutral during these primaries. But uh, I'm, I'm confident we'll have a strong Republican nominee uh, going into November. What is it that you would say to voters? Uh, historically, we know the uh, primary elections turnout is low. What do you do to get people? What needs to change to get folks out to vote? I just think we need to remind people how important it is. I mean, we, we just uh, commemorated Memorial Day when we remember people who've given the ultimate sacrifice and service to their country, and uh, that's to defend rights we have, like the right to vote and choose the people who lead us. Uh, and one of the ways that I think we honor uh, those who've served and those who are serving is to go to the polls and, and let your preference be known. Uh, that's one of the great freedoms we have as Americans. Uh, and, and I think it's our, frankly, patriotic duty to go out and, and exercise those rights. And so I, I hope uh, that everyone who is uh, eligible to vote will be there tomorrow to, to cast their ballot. What role does money play? How important is it here? You know, it's not decisive. I do think that, um, you know, money is a sign of support. Uh, and, you know, people can give uh, as little as a few dollars or, or up to the limit um, as a way of helping people get their message out. You know, these are especially when you have an open seat like you do in the third, the challenge is, as a candidate, making sure that people know your name, know what you're for, know what your experiences have been, and know why you think you're the right candidate there. And money certainly uh, is helpful in getting the message out. We're a small state. Uh, we're, it's a relatively rural uh, district. Um, and I think it's equally important to make sure that people are the candidates are at events talking to people directly. I think people expect that. Uh, and all six of these candidates, I've gotten to see them uh, at a lot of events around that district. Uh, and, you know, they're all working very hard to make sure people know who they are and why they think they're the right person to be the nominee. Lucian Smith, uh, chair of the Republican Party in Mississippi. Thank you. Hey, absolutely. Thanks, Desiree. Mississippi Democratic Party Chair Bobby Moak says he disagrees. He tells our Desiree Frazier the party has been rebuilding, showing signs of public support. 
I wouldn't say that it's a uh, Republican state. I would say that Republicans hold most of the offices, of course, but uh, Democrats have been going through some rebuilding, especially during the past uh, 18 months. But uh, 18 months ago, who would have thought that Democrats would be offering viable candidates uh, in every federal election? So I think that has to signal at least a, a pretty big change in the Democratic Party here in Mississippi and the attitudes of people who want to be candidates by even offering themselves. Tell us what your concerns are and what Democrats are focusing on in terms of issues facing the nation that also impact Mississippi. I think one of the big things would be the infrastructure bill that has not materialized. Uh, We were told by our uh, congressional delegation that we would have a federal infrastructure bill to pay for roads and bridges and other things here in Mississippi, and that has not happened. One of the other pieces of legislation that's gained a lot of attention, of course, is the so-called tax reform bill, but we've not really seen any tax reform here for local families. We have seen that large corporations get most of the benefits of those taxes, and whatever tax benefit families have gotten, it is being eaten up just in in everyday living, like the cost of gasoline that has gone through the roof. And we were told by the administration that we will have a lot of control over gas prices. But one of the other issues, too, that affects our farmers, it's the institution of a program whereby the administration is going to place tariffs on certain items, and that's certainly going to raise the issue of our farmers here in Mississippi not being able to sell their crops for what they need to. That's a huge issue because we're such a rural and agricultural state. Are you out campaigning with candidates? Do you do that as chair of the party? As chairman, I'm not involved with anybody's individual campaign and don't want to even give the perception of that. Not until we have a nominee, then we're ready to go. There are a couple of pretty high-profile races that Democrats are running in. One is the 3rd Congressional District. Representative Greg Harper is not seeking re-election. He's a Republican. What do you think are the chances? We're, we're, we're actually excited about that uh, that district. That's um, the second most Democrat-leaning district, quite honestly, in the state. It tends to be overlooked by Democrats a lot. Republicans tend to believe that by birthright, that's their district, but uh, it's not really that way. And uh, we hope that in November we can can enlighten folks on that just a little bit. Well, you do have candidates running against U.S. Senator Roger Wicker, um, Howard Sherman, Representative David Beria, and Representative Omeria Scott. Mm-hmm. All of those candidates who are already in public office have name recognition. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you've, you've seen uh, the two legislators uh, working their, their bases that they have had because of their opportunity to have, uh, have and currently hold public office. You see one candidate uh, who's probably more media-driven. So uh, it's all over the board. How much will money play a role in uh, these races? What do you think in terms of uh, Democrats being able to raise money to really, really compete? You know, money is, 
the old saying is a mother's milk of politics. And whether you be Democrat or Republican, it's all how you spend that money. But looking at the reports that have just come out, it looks like you know Democrats are going to hold their own in fundraising. I suspect that while money is always hard to come by, I do see more money coming into the state for the Republican candidates as well as the, the Democratic candidates. So ahead of tomorrow, what should voters keep in mind? I think a well-informed voter is what every candidate would like to see appear at the polls. Somebody who has thought about the issues, who has looked at the particular candidate's uh, background and where they they stand on the issues, I would certainly hope that folks uh, will do that. But number one, I hope folks will will turn out and vote. Well, Bobby Moe, chair of the Democratic Party in Mississippi, we appreciate your time and thank you so much. Thank you, Desiree. Polls are open tomorrow from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. In other news, plans are moving forward for a nuclear weapons summit between President Donald Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un on June 12th. Heather Sturr is the General Buford Blunt Professor of Military History at the University of Southern Mississippi. She tells us what the summit could mean for the state's armed forces. Given that the U.S. has not had diplomatic relations with North Korea really for that country's entire history, and we're going to almost 70 years, it, is, it will be a historic moment. For sure. What about the significance politically? So politically for the U.S., if Trump pulls this off, I mean, it could be the start of potentially some major diplomatic transformations in the Asia-Pacific region, especially if North Korea actually does make some efforts to limit or even begin to dismantle its nuclear arsenal, which I think is the goal of the summit, the ultimate goal of the summit. Do summits normally produce real action or significant conversations, or are they more symbolic? It's first about symbolism and second about conversation. I mean, I don't think we should expect that one meeting between Trump and Kim Jong-un will lead to any sort of major diplomatic change or lead North Korea to say, okay, we're going to begin dismantling our, our nuclear arsenal. I think about summits as a first step. And in that way, it would be symbolic. This is an example of these two leaders agreeing to come together and talk for the first time ever in the history of, of, of relations or lack of relations between these two countries. What, if anything, would a productive summit mean to Mississippians or the military in Mississippi? I think from a military perspective, anything that this meeting could do to lessen the tensions is a positive step. I think over the last several months, there's been a sense of kind of needing to be on. If North Korea is going to make a move, the U.S. will make a move back militarily. I think that would happen. Um, And so I think from a military perspective and our military installations here in Mississippi, anything that could lead to a lessening of those tensions is a good thing. Dr. Heather Sturr is an associate professor of history at the University of Southern Mississippi. Dr. Sturr, thank you so much for some really interesting information. Thank you very much for having me, Karen. I really appreciate it. Coming up on Everyday Tech, find out which gadgets could help you reach your fitness goals. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. 
I'm Michelle McAdoo with Wilts Couture, and today we're discussing assistive and adaptive technology. So, Wilts, what is adaptive technology? Well, Michelle, adaptive technology, it, it refers to special versions of already existing technology or different tools that we have out there that can provide enhancements or a different way for people to interact with that technology. Some of those examples may be more low-tech, like a you know large print books or digitized text, even just improvements in lighting, things to make it a little bit easier for everyone. And it can even go so far as to be things such as predictive text that we've seen in some of our phones, as well as adjustable desks. For example, quite a few folks that I work with use the standing desk options now and keyboard modifications and things to make things more ergonomically accessible. Why is adaptive technology so important? Adaptive technology has really become important as we see technology growing within our society. This is particularly seen in its ability to promote a greater independence by anyone and everyone trying to use this. So maybe you're getting a little bit older and your eyesight's not quite what it used to be, or maybe you attended a few too many concerts as a young child and maybe your hearing has slipped out a little bit. Or it could even be something as simple as to allow a younger child to be able to interact with these different items. There's so many different ways that technology can be customized to you. It doesn't have to be just for the masses per se, but it can be more so it's a tool for you personally to use. So being able to adapt it to what you need versus what someone else might need is really what makes it go from being technology to being personal tech. Is adaptive technology the same as assistive technology? Well, we can see a little bit of blending of the two um, depending on kind of your perspective over a particular technology or device. But generally speaking, assistive technology is more of a specialized device for something. One way we make a think of assistive technology would be things such as hearing aids, a technology that goes into that, or even wheelchairs or prosthetic devices, and things that are specifically developed to allow someone with that specific need to be able to interact a little bit more with the community around them. Um, But where you can also see the blending is we'll actually see text-enabled telephones and you'll see Braille devices that can actually take those emails or even websites and allow them to come back and be seen with someone that may be vision impaired. Um, We're also seeing a lot of devices that are being specifically developed to help children and adults with different disabilities such as autism, Down syndrome, just to allow people to, again, engage with and be a part of everything going on around them and tend to what their specific needs are. So, Wilts, what are some areas where adaptive and assistive technology can make the most impact? Well, we see this coming in not just in the home, but we also see this within the workplace as well as at school. So it really kind of runs the full range of locations that we could be at. And what we're seeing is this having the ability to help those of us with differing disabilities perform tasks with a much greater ease and much more independence and tears down so many of the barriers that would otherwise potentially stand in their way of being able to achieve what their goals are. And it's not just those with disabilities, but it could just be those with different abilities. So, Michelle, throughout the years, we've really seen where technology has really stepped in and stepped up 
to help enhance all of our lives and really improve independence for everyone. You know, if you if you really want to think back, think back to a past president we had, FDR. Many may also recall that he had polio, which would have made driving and some other daily tasks a little bit more difficult. Even back in the early 1900s, they were adapting the car to allow him to do a little bit more control when it came to hand controls. And so we're really seeing technology step in and make a difference. It's not just about checking your email and looking at your social media feeds. Today, technology can make such an impact on everyone around us, no matter their needs. And it can help us to obtain that independence we all desire, as well as reach our goals successfully. We will talk more about assistive and adaptive technology on the next Everyday Tech, the show that comes on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. You can send us an email to everydaytech at mpvonline.org. For Wilts Couture, I'm Michelle McAdoo. This has been Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. As some cigarette smokers are turning to vaping, many Mississippians question the habit and its effects. The health effects of electronic nicotine delivery devices is being researched and debated as the number of users goes up. Vaping now is an epidemic among high schoolers, millions to be exact, according to a 2016 National Youth Tobacco Survey. Mike Jeffcoat is vice president of the Mississippi Vaping Advocacy Association and owns a vape shop. He tells MP PB's Ashley Norwood more about his customers. We have a wide range of people here in Mississippi from legal age all the way up into their mid-90s that are vaping. Most of the people that we have are people that are, uh, they've either been smoking for a while and they're, you know, looking for an alternative. For the group of folks who may be first-time smokers and they start off vaping, do you think it could be the opposite for them that they may begin smoking cigarettes or other things after, you know, vaping for so long? There's been no proven basis that that statement would be true. We advise people if they don't smoke, then they really don't need to vape. There's no need in starting a habit that, you know, they don't need to start. So I would venture to say, for you know, if somebody's going to pick up a habit, they'd be much better off to pick up a vaporizer than, than starting to smoke cigarettes. Vaping Advocacy Association's Mike Jeffcoat. Dr. Rick DeShazo is Professor of Medicine and Health at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. He tells us new studies on the health risks and benefits of vaping are still being studied. Basically, it's a little boiler. It has a battery in it that heats a little tank that has a fluid in it, and then it has a little atomizer, which is basically a a little point there that forces the heat, f- boils over and forces a vapor to come out that little atomizer hole, which causes a vapor, which is what people inhale. And you control that with a button. And basically what happens is the nicotine goes into that vapor, and then that's what uh, you get. And you don't get the products of tobacco combustion, uh, which cause lung cancer and other cancers. You just get the nicotine. Well, nicotine has its own problem. First of all, it's the addictive component of tobacco. And it also causes vascular issues, especially in people who have uh, vascular disease like coronary artery disease and peripheral vascular disease. Uh, So it's not a chemical without harm. If adults who are smokers 
cut back on the concentration. There are different vials of nicotine solution that you could put in these devices over time. That can be very helpful. The problem is this is an epidemic uh, of uh, vape using among adolescents. We're seeing this all the time. Other people are using them. And although the data are not in, the big tobacco, the big tobacco corporations have bought most of the national vaping companies now and are doing some of the same things that they did with cigarettes, for instance, making them attractive to young people, you know, flavors, uh, funny names, funny-looking marketing, uh, so forth. And the FDA is probably going to outlaw marketing vaping to uh, young people soon, but a lot of kids are experimenting with it. The other thing is, is they're putting other things in it other than uh, nicotine. They're putting flavors, nicotine, and it's possible to actually put marijuana in these things and inhale that. So people are exploring with all all these things they can put in these devices, and that's not a good thing. UMMC's Dr. Rick DeShazo. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Deep South Dining. Then at 10, it's Now You're Talking. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.